Morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, thank you that this morning belongs to you. It's a beautiful morning. We're reminded of your goodness as we just get to be here and be surrounded by such beauty in downtown Kirkland and the neighborhoods we come from. Thank you. Thank you that our kids are being taught right now. Bless each of them. May they have uh, a part of their hearts just really be touched and moved by what our teachers and the folks in our nursery are doing just to share the love of Christ with them. Would you bless them as they learn and now as we learn? Would you fill us up, Holy Spirit? We're going to talk a lot about you. We're going to spend some time asking for your voice. And we recognize that that is a, a much bigger deal than we could ever really fathom or comprehend. So Lord, uh, move me completely out of the way. Move your heart and your desire for our community front and center. There'll be things that you want each person to hear. You'll want families and single people to hear this. And then you'll want us as a community to hear a clear word from you. And so we just ask for that. We ask with humility and with eager expectation. May the words of my mouth and the things that we think about in our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, one of my favorite places in the whole world is this place called Malibu. How many of you have been to Malibu, the Young Life Camp in BC? It's amazing. It's incredible. When you see it for the first time, uh, you kind of have this reaction of like, this, how could this place exist? This is just amazing. Uh, Young Life has operated a camp up there for years and years. I went for the first time years ago, and then a year after that, I went with my dad. My dad flew up from Houston, and we went to this uh, retreat together, which some of us are going to be going on in a few weeks. And so it's 2007. Picture where you were in 2007. Uh, And my dad and I are talking up at this amazing place. It's just breathtaking. And uh, I'd been dating uh, this woman named Jill for about six months. And many of you know Jill is now my wife. And my dad and I on this trip together got to actually just kind of sit and talk about a lot of things, but that was one of the things I really wanted to talk to him about. Like, how did you know, Dad, when it was time to ask the question? How did you know when this was a different type of relationship than ones that you'd had before? And it was a great moment to talk with him. I don't remember like any sort of huge, like, you know, he just dropped a knowledge bomb on me or something. But it was powerful to be able to share that moment with my dad. in that setting, and it was powerful to know that there are just places and there are moments in our lives where I think God really speaks to us if we would ask. And some of you have experienced this on your journeys. This was one of those places for me where I experienced that in a powerful way. And that conversation with my dad was just so helpful, both in terms of eventually deciding to go liquefy my savings and go buy a ring and do all these other things, but also to say to my dad, like, hey, can you speak into this? I'm asking you, not just as your son, but as another adult, as a, a kind of as a peer, right? Maybe you've had a moment like that with one of your parents where you realize, I'm still their kid, but I'm kind of on even footing with them now as I ask about this subject. It was one conversation among many that I had around that time, just around the subject of engagement and when do you know and how do you, how do you make this work? It was one conversation. And there were a lot more that led me to make that very big decision in my life and in Jill's life. And today's text is one conversation between the disciples and the resurrected Jesus, but there have been actually quite a few before this. 
John's gospel says there are at least three, if not four moments when Jesus, after he was killed, after he was brought back to life, he shows up and he speaks to the disciples. He has a real conversation with them. He actually invites them at one point to feel the scars that he still bears from his experience of dying for them. And it's one conversation among many, but it's a conversation a little bit like the one I had with my dad, which was pivotal, I think, not for what we talked about, but for what was at work behind us. And that's, I think, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of people who follow Jesus Christ. I think the Holy Spirit can be at work in tons of different ways. And if you grew up in a Pentecostal tradition, in a tradition that really emphasized the Holy Spirit, you know all too well about how powerful this can be. I grew up Presbyterian, which is about as far away from the Pentecostal tradition as you can imagine. So the idea of the Holy Spirit sounds really nice to me, but the experience of it is not something that I really got into until I started to look at this in seminary. Bethany's not a Presbyterian church. Bethany's not a Pentecostal church. We are a non-denominational church, and we believe in essentials unity, in non-essentials uh, liberty, and in, or in cha- I already messed that up. We're going to have to delete this sermon. Oh, well. In essentials unity, in non-essentials charity, and all things. And I'll, forget it. I'm moving on. I wanted to make the point that there is a lot of opportunity to look at the Holy Spirit from different perspectives and they all belong here. Because we believe that Jesus Christ is the author of how the Holy Spirit carries out the Spirit's work in our lives. And we're going to have an opportunity to engage with that in a different way today than we might normally. Yes, there's going to be teaching. Yes, there's going to be a chance to look at the scriptures. But you may have noticed as you came in, there are some stations around the room where we're going to have an opportunity later on as a response to ask the Holy Spirit for some specific things, to ask God to do some stuff in our lives, honestly, that we may not arrive at unless the Spirit nudges us to do that. So I'm not going to tell you, like, go to this table now and go to this and go to that. It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be musical chairs. You're going to go as you're led. But that will be part of our response time. And during the teaching time, I want to invite you to just listen. I want to just right now, do this with me. Just pause. Take a deep breath. Remember that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he came to his disciples and he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. And as we take a deep breath now, he is breathing his spirit upon us, church. And he's calling us to look at this this morning. So I invite you now to look at uh, your bulletin. There's an outline in there with four different kind of headings or prompts. The Holy Spirit can speak to us in any way the Spirit wants to, but these four, I think, are key to the text, and they're going to be stuff that we talk about to give us some kind of handles and how can we actually hear from the Spirit in our lives. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 1, the passage Heather read for us. I'll be reading through different sections of that. Uh, but we won't read through the whole text together again. So listen to verse 3, and the heading is gratitude. Can you say that with me? Gratitude. Say it like you mean it. Gratitude. Let's start with verse 3. After his suffering, he's talking about Jesus, he presented himself alive to the disciples by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So what's happening here? Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's had other conversations with the disciples before now. What is this many convincing proofs thing? I think it's the author, Luke. Remember, he's the author of both his gospel and Acts. I think it's the author's way of saying to his audience, this actually happened. 
This is real. Luke cares deeply about making sure that those who are factual, who are evidence-based, who want the history and the dates and the references, that their needs are kind of met as they read his gospel. And what he's saying here is the resurrection happened, and there will be many proofs that we walk through in both Acts and Luke about this. But the number one thing that I want to highlight from this, this many convincing proofs, and this may be helpful as you talk with friends in your community who, like, the resurrection isn't a thing for them. They don't even think about it. They're not sure if it's really true. Here's, I think, a many convincing proof that has meant something to me this week. Think about who received this word, this message. It's the disciples. Twelve men, now eleven, they haven't brought in a new disciple yet. They're not educated they didn't go to college, they're, they're ragtag, they're crashing along, they're following Jesus for about three years, and all of a sudden it's all gone. Have you ever had that experience before where you just devoted a chunk of your life to someone or something, and then it's just gone like the wind? That's what's happened to them. They're in grief, they're in mourning. We talked about this last week. Peter especially is in grief and mourning because what did he do? He denied Jesus. He said, I'll follow you, I'll never leave you, and then when the chips were down, he bailed out quicker than you could imagine. Peter denies him, cuts to the heart of his faith, but then Jesus is back. The greatest news ever, that he is returned, their faith was not in vain, and the way the disciples move is the proof. The way the disciples go from despair to hope, from being isolated and totally distraught, moving back into community, reconnecting with each other, going as many of us need to do often in our lives, from fear to faith, can only happen because something powerful, external, they didn't come up with it, it happened to them, moved them. And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only something that powerful that's actually real can do what happened in the disciples' lives. You do not get to overturn the Roman Empire based on hearsay. You do not get to start a world-changing movement like the church because you kind of sort of agree with some basic tenets of faith and this sounds good enough. You have a real transformative experience and you are empowered to go transform something else, someone else. And that's what happened to the disciples in this moment. And if you think about it, That should fill them with an overwhelming sense of gratitude, should it not? If you've ever experienced some kind of transformation, let's say you were caught up in a cycle of addiction, and you finally got help, you finally started going to meetings, you finally started talking to a counselor that you really clicked with, and you started to change, and you look back, and your life before you barely recognize, it's so different, it's fundamentally different. Yes, it's still you, but it's not the person you are now. If you've experienced transformation like that, what do you feel when you think back on that time? When you were still in your addiction, when you were still in your shame? You feel gratitude. Because that's not you anymore. It was you, it's part of your story, but that's not the you that God wants you to be. You feel grateful. So here's our challenge. Here's where we're going to start thinking about how to respond at the particular prayer station that's devoted to gratitude. If it's true that the resurrection changes everything, then every moment of our lives is an opportunity for gratitude. Is it not? Every second that we have is a chance for us to say, Lord, you're doing something good. I may have woke up with a sore back and a tired heart. I may have had a rough week at work, but thank you that I got a job. Thank you that I have a home to wake up in. These are practical things. This is what gratitude does, is it shapes our hearts so that we're less selfish, we're less focused on just our needs and what we don't have, and we're instead empowered to be witnesses, like what Jesus said, because we're grateful. Isn't it wonderful to be around people who are grateful? 
Contrast that with people who suck at being grateful. It's terrible. It sucks your soul away. You're tired of it. You don't like it. People that are always complaining about stuff, oof. But ponder this, church, so that after communion, you'll have a chance to respond to this. God, I am so grateful for how you have changed my life. I am so grateful for your goodness, for your kindness. There are three different prompts that are going to be at this station that's devoted to gratitude. And I'll just invite these to go up on the screen and think about them. You don't have to write them down. They'll be over there. But just use this to kind of start generating something in your mind. God, I am so grateful for fill in the blank. Jesus, thank you. You are so fill in the blank. The last one, Holy Spirit, help me practice gratitude when. This is about comparison. And we live in a day when comparison steals our joy. After uh, someone buys a home, my first encouragement to them is to delete the Redfin app off your phone. Because you're going to go back and compare over and over and over again. And it's going to suck the joy out of where you are at because you're constantly going to be comparing. I'm not anti-Redfin. If you work for Redfin, I'm sorry. The comparison game. We can't be grateful if we're always comparing, can we? We can't be satisfied with what we have because we always want what we don't have. So when we come to our response time, be thinking of something that you're grateful for. Write it down. Stick it up on the wall. Tell it to one of our prayer team members. Have them pray with you. Just a prayer of thanksgiving. God, thank you. That'll be our opportunity when we come to gratitude. Now let's move along to verse 6. We're going to talk about restoration. God calls us to be grateful because the resurrection really happened. It really changes people's lives. Now, as we look at verse 6, we're going to talk about something that the Holy Spirit does powerfully, and that's restoration. And it's a question that the disciples ask Jesus. So when they had come together, when the disciples were reunited, they got the band back together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? What does that mean? Restore the kingdom. If you think about who's asking the question, it makes a lot more sense. Jewish men were asking Jesus, their Messiah, hey, when are you going to complete this deal? Because their expectation was that the Messiah would come, yes, but that the Messiah would come guns blazing with a huge army of angels, that there would be a military coup, that the uh, Roman oppressors would be tossed out on their ears. That's what these guys were probably thinking. This is not what Jesus came to do. The Roman Empire was overthrown, but it was overthrown inwardly through a transformation of its soul, not through military might. It's all about restoration. That is what Jesus' kingdom is about. It has come so that all might be restored. Interesting note, that word uh, restoration in the text, if you go uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, that word is used in, the, in a very similar way in a powerful story about one of Jesus' miracles. Listen for this word restoration. This is, this is Matthew 9, or excuse me, Matthew 12, starting in verse 9. Jesus left that place and he entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? Okay, so these are the Pharisees hoping to trip Jesus up. Hey, here's a guy who has a need. His hand doesn't work right. And so they have this dialogue and then Jesus says to them, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Like, you're asking the wrong question. You're dithering about religious rules. This guy has a need for healing, and I'm going to meet his need. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Here it comes. He stretched it out, and it was what, church? Restored. Say it again with me. It was restored as sound as his other hand. That word restored 
This is really interesting. In the Greek, it's apocalypsthemi. Doesn't that sound like the word apocalypse? Do we associate the apocalypse with restoration? No, we associate it with like terrible wars and the battle to end all battles and all this terrible stuff. But only in Jesus' kingdom is restoration the end of the story. The scriptures are always pointing to this. All things being made new. The new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem. This is not about obliteration. This is about restoration. Jesus looks at the man's hand and says, that's not too far gone. I can fix that. Nobody else at that time could do that. This is the ancient Near East. There's no medical devices. There's no you know, real serious training for anybody. There's no recovery of something like that. It's too far gone. If you don't hear anything else this morning, church, hear this. No part of your life or mine is too far gone. You hold out your withered hand. You hold out your withered calling, your marriage, something that you're struggling with with your children. It is never too far gone. Jesus never looks at a part of us emotionally, physically, spiritually and said, "Mm, I wish you'd come to me sooner. I can't do nothing. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Our world can sometimes feel like it's a withered hand. It can feel like that. The Easter violence in Sri Lanka, the political upheaval and the battles going on right now in Venezuela, the unrest in Nicaragua, people in addiction and poverty and abandonment right here in King County. It's all real. And Jesus looks at every corner of our world and says, it's not too far gone. I can restore that. I can handle that. So if you have written off a part of your life or the life of someone you've loved and you need restoration, here's some opportunities to ask the Holy Spirit for that. God, I am hurting and I need your restoration here, in my work, in my marriage, between neighbors. This could be a prayer for somebody else. Jesus, would you restore my friend? Would you restore this person that I know Like in my life, someone I know from the gym, they're going through a divorce. It is as painful as all get out. Jesus, would you restore my friend from the gym? They are so broke down right now. They they feel like a withered hand. Would you just open them back up again and restore them to how they were meant to be? Would you carry them through this dark time? This is a great opportunity to ask for the Holy Spirit upon a part of your life that feels withered or somebody else. Great chance to do that in just a little while. So that's restoration. We've talked about gratitude. We've talked about restoration. Now let's talk about discernment. This one's kind of quick. This is Jesus' response to the disciples' question in verse 7. It's kind of a snappy question. Like, this is like snappy talking at your neck, Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when is the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? Here's verse 7. Jesus replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. How many of us love to hear it's not for you to know? It's need to know information and what? You don't need to know. We love hearing that from supervisors or from people that have a bigger picture in our company than we do. It's great. We live in a day when because of the glowing rectangles we carry around in our pockets and our purses, there's very little that we cannot find out, right? It is a Google search away for you to figure something out. My wife and I were on our uh, date night this week And we were with a couple, and they were talking about how they're going hiking this summer in Machu Picchu. And so, like, cool trip, right? Like, that sounds amazing. Well, I'm uh, five on the Enneagram, and so I'm like, I I don't know where that is. Like, I kind of know where that is, but I don't know the country. I I can't picture on a map. So, in total, like, social rebellion, I pull out my phone and I look it up. 
Now, is that a big deal? No. But it caused me to disengage and not be as present with our friends. It meant that little glowing rectangle got that much more time in my day, and it doesn't need more time in my day. But we live in a day when there's a fine line, hear me on this, between information and distraction. There is a very fine line between information and distraction. I may have sought information, but what I was really choosing to do was choosing to be distracted. When you're distracted, you can't discern. You can't back up the truck. You can't get a 30,000-foot view and go, wait, what's really going on in my life? What's really happening over here? Jesus knows the disciples are asking the question. They're kind of aiming at the wrong target. And what he says to them is, you got to do better than that. you got to trust me. There's stuff that you don't need to know. And frankly, it frees us to not know. It frees us to not be in the loop. It is too easy to distract ourselves. Knowing and distracting are too easily blurred. It's good to want to know, but it's way better to be able to trust. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, what's something that you're okay with not knowing? If the answer is nothing, let's reevaluate that. Is there something you're okay with not knowing? And in that, can you ask God to speak into that powerfully? This is the station that'll have the title discernment over it. Here's just some questions to help get the brain going. God, help me to see this with your eyes. Help me to see my work. Help me to see my relentless pace at the office. Help me to see my children with your eyes. Help me discern what you're doing because I am too easily distracted and I don't have the information and I don't know what to do. Help me enter into some situation, some moment in my life like you would, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, fill me up so that I don't just strive to know for knowing's sake. So that I can be present. So that I can listen. That's a huge hope for us as we go, come up to this prayer time in just a few moments. Now, that's discernment. last part is about power. It's frustrating to hear somebody say to you, there's stuff that you don't get to know, but what makes it better is that there's power that comes alongside of that. There is power to step into something amazing. This is verse 8 of the text. Jesus has told the disciples, there's stuff that you won't know, and there's a but, and it's a good but. But you will receive what, church? Power. Say it with me. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Power is great, but power unfocused is dangerous. This is focused power. What is it focused on? You will be my witnesses. This power has a very specific vehicle, a very specific calling. And the key actually in here comes earlier when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That phrase, come upon you, is one word in the original Greek. And do you know where we've heard that word before? A teenager at the birth of Christ named Mary. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel comes and speaks to Mary. Remember this? This is in the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus. Mary is this faithful Jewish woman seeking after Yahweh, praying for the kingdom to come. And this angel shows up and tells her about the miracle that God's going to do in her life. And she says, what? How is that possible? And what does the angel say? The Holy Spirit will what? Come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You don't get to know all the details. That's need to know information. You don't need to know. All you need to know is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Are you facing a puzzle, a problem, 
at work, in your marriage, in relationships, and it feels like this Rubik's Cube, and you want to know the solution, you want to know the steps, you want to have the power to solve it, and you just keep slamming against a wall, maybe you're asking for the wrong thing. Maybe what you need to ask for, like what Mary did, is just, how is this even possible? And the angel tells her, the Spirit will come upon you, and that's good enough. That's good enough. God is going to do a new thing in your life. You don't need to know all the nuts and bolts of it. Some stuff we get to know, some stuff we don't. But especially in this moment, when a simple, innocent woman who has a heart full of faith, when she encounters the Holy Spirit, how does she respond? She says, okay, let it be unto me as you have said. And then she sings this beautiful song in praise of what God is doing in her life. Mary was not beating the bushes, trying to find the Holy Spirit. She was just going about her life. She was just living faithfully. If you've been living faithfully and you've been waiting for God to do something in your life, maybe today is the day that that changes. Maybe not. But would you hold open the possibility in your heart and in your mind that this is the day, this day, the Holy Spirit would come upon you, would come upon your calling and your work and your neighborhood and your family and all these puzzles you keep trying to crack and finally the power to actually solve it comes and you go, oh, that was it. I was waiting, God. I was patient. And it, you get the glory because you brought it to bear. Mary would take no credit for herself that this is what happened to her, that the Holy Spirit came upon her, but it did. And here we are. The questions that would come along with this, this will just be up on the screen for a minute, about power. God, help me to wait patiently. Jesus, would you pour out your resurrection power over someone, something, some part of my life? Or just a simple prayer, God, would you just move me? I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. Would you just bring your power and just jumpstart me, kickstart me into something else? Because that's what I'm asking you for. Now, Before we go to our response time, there are a lot of different ways to do this. I understand that at a level it kind of feels artificial to come here this morning and say, you're telling me I'm going to interact with the Holy Spirit today? Like, okay, buddy, good luck with that. What we are doing is providing an opportunity. That's it. And if the Holy Spirit chooses to speak to you, fantastic. Praise God. If you don't receive anything this morning, if you have just received the scriptures and you've heard a good word and you don't hear from the Holy Spirit in a little while, we're still friends. Like, it's okay. The Spirit is in charge of that. I was actually kind of going through my notes this morning, and I'm going, okay, we're doing this, we're setting people up, we're doing that. And the first couple of things on my list, I was like, oh, that's all God. <laughs> like, we, we, we have nothing that we can really do here to make this happen. What we can do is show up and ask. And so if you show up with me in just a moment, and if you ask, and if you pray, and you seek, who knows what God will do? But we hope that it's an amazing pouring out of his Holy Spirit this morning. All across the Bethany family, we are gathering to ask for the Holy Spirit to pour out in and through our churches to do what God wants to do. But know that you are being joined by thousands of other people around the city of Seattle and the greater area right now to ask for the Holy Spirit. That's powerful. Know that when you go to each of these prayer stations in a moment, you can just write something down, you can stick it up on the bulletin board or on the window, that's great. But you could also have somebody pray for you. There'll be members of our prayer team at each station wearing lanyards. You'll know who it is. It won't be weird because they're trained to not do this weird. They know what they're doing. And there'll be a trustworthy guide for you to say, hey, look, how can I pray for you? I, I, You wrote something down, can I pray for you about that? I would encourage you to say yes. 
I would encourage you to say yes. And there's not going to be some order to this, like we're going to go clockwise, and we're going to do that. just go. Go as you are led. We will have time after I pray for us to be silent and to just sit with this, because I know it can be a lot to take on. And then the band will come back up and we'll celebrate communion together. While communion is happening, you can go to one of those stations. We'll have a few minutes after communion to go to one of those stations. And if you don't want to get up and go, that's okay. But I would challenge you to. Because I believe God has a word for you and a word for me, and I don't want you to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. Sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we think it should be this big, crazy thing, this big movement, and if it didn't happen, what's wrong? What did I ask wrong? I would just offer this from my week. Sometimes the Holy Spirit hits you like a big old wave at the ocean, and sometimes it's just this little nudge. Either one is really, really good. This week I was meeting uh, with some friends and just talking about their relationship And we were praying together, and we were just uh, in uh, a private space, having a really good, rich conversation. I felt this nudge, and I think this was the Holy Spirit, just saying, like, hey, I want you to pray for them, and I want you to anoint them. And again, I'm coming from a Presbyterian background, so that's like a foreign world to me, to talk about, like, anointing. Like, what is that? Thankfully... I've had experiences in my life where it has been very valuable, and it's in the scriptures, to pray over someone, to just dot them on the head with oil and just say, you are set apart for the purposes of God. You belong to him. That's it. And so with these two friends, I was just able to say, hey, this may sound a little weird, but I think the Holy Spirit's nudging me to ask you guys if this would be helpful to you. Could I pray over you guys and just anoint you and pray over your future? And they were open to that, and so we did that together. And nothing magical happened. There was no lightning bolt. The room didn't shake. Nothing like that. But it was powerful, I think, for all of us in that moment to be reminded, you are a son of God, you are a daughter of God, and you belong to him. If nothing else, the Holy Spirit prompted us in that moment to receive that word. Do we not need to hear that? All the time. You were beloved. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. Do we not need to hear that again and again? If we don't hear that, we can't give that to others. And that was a powerful moment of the Holy Spirit for me, just this week, with two people that I love so much. And so now, as we turn our attention to this time and response, would you just join me in listening, asking, praying, God, move through us. Make that wave lap up against my feet. May it push up against me. Just like picture yourself standing in the ocean and the waves are moving you in a direction. It's the Holy Spirit and it's good. And you can trust him. That's the invitation, church. So in a moment, let's turn our attention to these stations. But for now, I'm going to invite the band to come join me back up here. And I would invite you just to be silent with me. I'll keep an eye on our time. We won't sit here forever and ever. But just hear these words. This would come to us from the Quaker tradition, right? You sit and wait for the Spirit to speak to you. So let's hear now from the Lord. Join me as we pray and as we enjoy a moment of silence. Jesus, we're so thankful that you have given us your word and your life. And we recognize that anything that we hear in these next few moments, it could be from you. And we want to hear that and make that abundantly clear to us. Sometimes we ask for you to speak and we don't hear anything and that's okay. Just remind us of your presence. And sometimes when we ask 
the enemy tries to get in there and mix things up and give us messages that are not right, and we pray against that. We pray that you would bind Satan from these moments. Keep him out of here. We don't want that confusion. We don't want that interference. We want to hear directly from you. And we ask both humbly but also boldly that you would pour out your spirit upon our community, not for our sake. You didn't pour out your Holy Spirit on Peter and all the apostles and disciples so that they could be these great people. You did it to change the world, to restore, to find places that are like a withered hand. And as is the vision of your kingdom, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness. So for each of us, God, in these moments, would you speak in your way as you desire and help us to hear from you. Help us listen to you now in these moments of silence. Father, continue to speak now at the table through this time with bread and with juice. May we gather as your son invites us to come and to receive. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.